Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 71, 2023, Week 6 Recap, Week 7 Preview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. Once week six came to a close, some interesting league developments kicked off the lead up to week seven, and as usual, we will cover those important matters. In addition, we have two guests this week. XFL Fan Zone's David Taylor joins the show to discuss the current state of the league. And I will also be joined by contributor Mark Hallbach to review the Week 6 games and preview the upcoming matchups. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On March 25th, the Orlando Guardians hosted the Seattle Sea Dragons. The Sea Dragons defeated the Guardians 26-19. Also on March 25th, the Vegas Vipers hosted the St. Louis Battlehawks. The Battlehawks defeated the Vipers 29-6. Then, on March 26, the Arlington Renegades hosted the San Antonio Brahmas. The Brahmas defeated the Renegades 15-9. Then, on March 27, the Arlington Renegades released quarterback Kyle Sloter. Also on March 27, the D.C. Defenders hosted the Houston Roughnecks. The Defenders defeated the Roughnecks 37-26. Then, on March 28, XFL Communications Department announced a trade between the Arlington Renegades and the Vegas Vipers. The Renegades received quarterback Luis Perez. The Vipers received linebacker Ryan Mueller. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by contributor Mark Hallbach to review Week 6 games and preview the upcoming matchups. Welcome back, Mark. I appreciate you taking the time to return and return and return week after week for the show, so this time around we can discuss the XFL, was it week six? Man, we're rolling along here, and we'll even get into the upcoming weekend, which is uh, week seven, man. Yeah, season well past the halfway point now. It is flying by, isn't it, Michael? Definitely, and uh, it's my pleasure uh, to always be here and to recap the games and to preview what's coming up the next week, so uh, yeah, let's let's get to it. In the words of Danny Garcia, the monkey is off our back. Let's talk about week six, game one, the Seattle Sea Dragons at the Orlando Guardians with the Sea Dragons winning 26 to 19. Seattle kept things rolling by defeating an improving and more productive Guardians team on the road. I won't get into the numbers. I'll just give you the floor. What are your takeaways from this game in the Sunshine State? Well, you know, it's good to see that uh, Orlando is being competitive. You know, I, I got to give that coaching staff 
you know, it's, it's recognition. I know we banged on them a lot, a little bit here uh, in earlier weeks, but coach Buckley's got them playing hard. Okay. And you can, you can tell that by the games, right? The, the, the scores are, you know, a little closer. They're not, they're not getting blown out, um, you know, all the time. And they played a very, very good sea dragons team. And, you know, went toe for toe for, with them uh, for three quarters. And then, you know, what happened though was, you know, 0 and 6, being an 0 and 16, 0 and, 0 and 6 things happen to you. And th- you become who you are at least one point in the game. And they did in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, getting the pl- blocked, just throwing the interception late, they, the penalties, you know, one after another. So, they were still in it to the to their last possession. I mean, the game, you know, ended on a penalty uh, with a runoff. I mean, if, if that's not an zero and six thing that that happens to you because you're zero and six, then you know <laughs> that is the definition of that. So I, I give them credit. I also give them credit, you know, with all the things that happen with uh, Dormany, the Guardians. You know, Coach Buckley still saw that. You know, he's, he's probably our best chance and he was a little rusty, you know, early on Dormady seemed a little rusty, but he, he kind of came back and played pretty clean football game and, and did keep them in it. And their running game kept them in it. I think they started running the ball a little bit later too. They start, you know, instead of just firing it around. And I think that's, um, uh, you give Shane Matthews a little credit there too, uh, since he's taken over play calling, you know, with that now, but you know, they, they just did too many things. The other thing too is, is Dormady spreads the ball around real nice. I think getting, you know, Rambo and Latimer and Eli Rogers, you know, all involved is important for them, right? Those guys can make some plays. So, you know, he did a really good job of, of doing that. And then obviously, uh, you know, Darrington had a nice game running the ball and had a couple of touchdowns too, to, to fill in there. But, you know, they just made too many mistakes down the stretch and you can't make those mistakes and, and beat a team that is better than you at that time. Now with, with Seattle, again, a solid team that the only thing that the only problem right now Seattle's having and everybody's talking about it is, is Danucci's throwing interceptions. And, you know, he, he only threw one this week, and, but we're still talking about it. He cuts down on those and can keep the ball, you know, Defense, when he does make those turnovers, are making the stops typically, you know, more often than not. So he's he's getting bailed out a little bit more there. So there's not hurting him as much. He needs to, you know, focus on that a little bit. Some of them are, especially in the red zone. I get throwing the ball up during a conversion because just throw it up, right? There's not a lot that can happen. You know, they got to return it a hundred and some yards to get points. I believe, you know, the defense does. But if it's third down and you're in field goal range and, and you're throwing it and there's three guys around your guy, you better put that in the exact spot that your guy can only catch it. And he's just not doing that. He's making some kind of some boneheaded throws, if you, if, uh, it's what I would say. But you know what? He can push that ball downfield and he does a really good job of it. His other receivers are the ones that are coming to play. You know, I feel like Josh Gordon was shut out this game. Um, I'm sure there was a focus to shut him out. I'm sure there's a lot of focus on him. So I'd like to see them maybe try to get him involved 
earlier doing some other things, maybe throwing screens out to him, you know, throwing a quick hitch to him or a slant or something that he can do. Um, if it, if you can get the formation to do that. So, you know, Seattle played solid game. Orlando played well enough, but then made too many mistakes to too many penalties, too many mistakes. And it just got away from them. And that's what happens when you're on six, you, you have to play a perfect game to win it. And they're just, they're not playing perfect games, right? They're playing, they're getting better uh, and it's almost perfect, but it's hard to play a perfect game. Right. And, and to create those upsets. So. So I look at Danushi, like you've said in the past, no, not all turnovers are the same. So to hang our head on one turnover, you know, is, did it kill them? Obviously not. They won. The thing I look at that potentially where Danucci actually didn't deliver, so to speak, is not where he had the interception. It's when I look at his completion percentage. When you say he's kind of making some boneheaded plays, he's barely over 50% in this game against the worst team in the league. So when, when I see that, I kind of have to just wonder. I'm like, I know a lot of people are like, well, Seattle is surging forward. They're going to make make the playoffs. But I'm like, hold on, people. I'm not trying to say they're not going to, but I'm just saying, like, let's be careful what we're looking at here because when you look at this game against Orlando, a team that we know that can't get out of their own way, and a lot of people talk about where they're lacking in a lot of different aspects of the game, you can't barely be 50% against – any team typically and expect to win. And in this case, they're fortunate because the guardians did have that last opportunity to do something. And yes, they shot themselves in the foot, but what if they did it? Big, what if I get it? We could talk about could have, should have, would have all day long, but the reality is this is where they need to start taking a look at the guy that's under center or in shotgun, however you want to look, to look at it. That's, supposed to be making the decisions that you're putting all your chips in. You know, you go all all in on Danucci. Well, the guy needs to start playing like the guy that you're all in on at some point. Because if you're going to make the playoffs, you're not playing the Guardians. And if you're going to keep playing this type of ball, then you're not going to be successful. So at some point, I know you're living to play another day. You're just keep yourself in the hub. But at some point, we're not week one or two anymore, Danucci. You got the pass, right? We know offenses are a little bit behind, building chemistry. Well, you just completed week six, and it didn't look that great as far as completion percentage. You threw for 177 yards. Yes, you have your two touchdowns, one interception. All right, did Gordon get taken out of the mix? You only targeted him twice. So for being a boneheaded decisions, you didn't force him towards Gordon that often, who is your star? So if you're going to force it to anybody, why wouldn't you be forcing into the guy versus everyone else that had seven or eight targets? I'm just kind of like decisions at this point. I'm kind of like, is Danucci the guy that we thought he was going to be? Because he's not 100% looking like it. Not to bag on him. I'm just saying when it numbers, you know, that's what we have to go off from. That's just kind of what I'm seeing. Yeah, and I, I think this this game wasn't his best performance by far. Um, I don't think we've seen his best performance. That's the thing with Danucci. I think his upside is uh, higher. Sometimes when you play a winless team, you you play down to their level. 
little bit. And this, you kind of go through the motions a little bit, thinking that you just got to, you know, walk on the field and you can win. And that's where that team kind of starts to chip away at you, right? And keeps going at you. You know, I'm, I'm not too concerned with, with Ben uh, in his play. He did lead the team in rushing. <laughs> so where he lacked off there, he, you know, uh, passing wise, he, he may have made up with his feet a little bit, but we're all waiting for him to have his second game where he explodes, right? I mean, he had the first one. We're waiting for that second one. He's still completing 64% of his passes. He's still, he's, he's still got 11 touchdowns to eight interceptions. So it's not the case where he's throwing more interceptions than touchdowns. And it's not the case where he's throwing 55%. So overall for the season, you're going to have a game or two that looks like this as a quarterback. And I think he, he did enough, right? And sometimes that that'll get you there. I mean, hall of fame even have games that look like this. Uh, And uh, so but we're waiting for him to have that 400-yard passing game that we all think he can have, right, when he gets perfect. And maybe he's saving that for a big spot. <laughs> Not going to do it against the Guardians. Yeah, but I, I just wouldn't be too concerned. But uh, with the Guardians, the good thing is, is I think they found their starting quarterback. And, you know, he can he should start the rest of the year as long as he's healthy. Now, you can bring in the other you know, the other quarterbacks to maybe run the ball a little bit here or there. Again, I'm changing my tune maybe a little bit on the two quarterback system. Um, but for a player two, I don't think it hurts. It's just when you're rotating, you don't know who the starter is. Um, and you don't know who your go-to guy is that, that really kills you with the two quarterbacks, but that's good news for Orlando. And I think Seattle, I think, you know, they're in the playoff hunt. We're going to have a great race in the North. We're going to really see what happens there. Moving on to game two, St. Louis Battlehawks at the Vegas Vipers, with the Battlehawks winning 29 to 6. Despite a scoreless first quarter, the Battlehawks took a commanding lead in the second, which was led by a flawless performance by A.J. McCarron, and they never looked back. Heck, the Vipers' lone score came in the fourth quarter when Hunley connected to Lovett for just a six that didn't even convert. I mean, looking at this game, the Battlehawks proved me wrong when I said I thought this could be a catchy game. <laughs> it, clearly, it wasn't that for them at all. You know, just scoreless first quarter on that. They took care of business. What are your thoughts on this game? Coming off the loss, right, to the defenders, you know, they needed a game. And like I said, losing back-to-back is tough. And we'll talk about that, you know, later on here with another team. But AJ put in a performance that we're talking, we've been waiting for him to put in, right? I mean, he's been good, but in this scenario, I mean, he was great. I mean, he completed 79% of his passes. I mean, let's, we'll give it to him. We'll put it at 80%. You know, he had three touchdowns. He's really got command of this offense now. And he was playing a five team though. I mean, the Vipers are are in trouble more than we think they are. As they go along here, they seem to be regressing where we thought they were, you know, week one or two. We were like, oh, you know, they'll win a game here, you know, a few games and be competitive. Right now they're regressing. And, but they put in a great game. And what's great is he is starting to uh, get Darius Shepard 
involved. Darius will be, he may be on an NFL team this year. I mean, he's been there. He is playing really well. So he's getting him involved. I think he's starting to create some chemistry with him. He had it with Butler. So it's great to have another person, especially on the outside, that can do some things. And then they get enough out of their running game. I mean, they, they did have a hundred yards, you know, uh, 62 by Brian Hill, but you know, they get enough out of that to keep people honest and keep the play action honest. And really AJ just, he had that game for him and their defense played really well. I mean, they're, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you could say it's the Vipers lack of offense or it was, you know, the battle Hawks had some good defense there too, as well. But I mean, obviously the story of this game was plain and simple. AJ having one of those games that if he has these games like this, they're not going to lose. Like if he plays like this, they don't lose. If he put a little shakier, you know, some of the games might be a little closer just because you got more offensive output and more offensive power from their opponent. But in this regard, he had the game of his year right now and actually probably put himself as the front runner for MVP right now. If you, if we think about it, questionable okay but with that game he he has it now there's some people out there you know that can win this and that's what's great about this is you know there's some guys competing for that award right but if he puts in two or three more performances like that he's gonna he's gonna be up there right and and good for him what i would love aj is complete this season get to the playoffs maybe get to a championship game and come back God, please come back because you will be the face of this league and they will probably pay you more. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I like to see, see that. Uh, when it comes to the Vipers, Luis Perez came came back down to earth, right? Uh, he had the stellar game, you know, versus Orlando. And he, he just struggled a little bit in this game. And that was partly because of the pass, pass rush was getting to him. And uh, he threw a couple early picks. And, and when you do that and they turn into points for the other team, you typically you're, you're going to get a short hook, you know, and, and they got a guy behind them that I don't understand why he's, he's not playing, even though now he's going to be. But, but yeah, Luis just, he turned the ball over too early. I'm a little dis, disappointed with Martavius Bryant's performance so far this year. I'd rather watch a young guy that's hungry that wants to play than a guy that is here just to, you know, and thinks he's better than it. And and I don't know if that's the case with, with him, but it kind of seems that way because I feel like he should just be beasting everybody. You know, that's just my opinion, but again, they could be game planning for that too. Defenses are probably trying to take that away and make sure they don't And you know, with the Vipers, Rod Woodson really just has a problem with uh, with the officials. I mean, he was barking at him again this year, this week. And when you're too worried about the officials and not worried about your team and what's going on, nothing. So, um, unfortunately, I see that as a downside for for that franchise and for that coaching staff. There, I think he's needs to focus on getting his team better and stop worrying about the officiating. And I don't care what calls are going against you. That's what you got to do to, to, to get out of a rut like that. So little disappointing season for the Vipers. I think they came in 
thinking that the, this roster was a little bit better and it, you know, they were going to do some things, but um, I think uh, it's been a disappointing year for them. And so we'll see, we'll see what happens with when Brett Hudley uh, takes over them as well. Yeah. They are not living up to expectations. That's just, just to put it that way. It doesn't matter how you look at it. They can't, Piggyback anything. They're bouncing back and forth between quarterbacks. Heck, we'll even get into it later on that obviously they're going to do something even different, right? So we'll get into that as we go into the, um, the upcoming matchups later. So, but just looking at this this game, you know, I, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but you know, I, I would like to take a moment just talk about Brian Hill. Because he has been pretty consistent in being productive for the Battlehawks, despite wins, losses. And I know we talk about a lot of quarterbacks in the passing game, and we know that's it's what, you know, a moving clock and quicker gameplay really focuses in on that. But his production, I think, is very vital to what the Battlehawks have been doing. He's been Mr consistent they can really depend on him lean on him when he's needed and i i just want to give him his props for that and i'm not saying he had the biggest game because he didn't just ran for a little over 60 yards but the reality is again that's consistent and i know we always focus on people that are running for 100 yards is the big thing but quicker games again gameplay i think 60 70 yards is a solid running back, especially in the XFL, as far as the the league is set up. So let's give him his dues when he when he should have it. And maybe we should talk about him a little bit more moving forward. But reality is, you know, another solid game from him. Obviously, when you pair that with a quarterback that's practically flawless, only a few um what six, I think, incompletes. But yeah, it you're gonna dominate probably any team, but the Vipers is <laughs> not gonna up a fight so yeah it's kind of a it's a shame for the vipers because you would like to think with the talent that we have seen on that roster they do something but um it's not and i know that i was high on them going into the season they're not out yet mathematically but they could very well be shortly yeah michael you're right i mean brian hill has has done a great job i mean he's second in the league in, in rushing yards and you're you know, he's doing just enough to keep defenses honest and, and give AJ the the play action that he needs. And and that's that's important. And I think you're right. I mean, we're not gonna see, you know, a lot of uh, hundred yard games, you know, out of out of players too often. And part of the reason being is the running back position has just changed over the years uh in football, both in, you know, college and 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 professional, you see more of a running back by committee, uh, less carries for people, for these guys. Uh, you just don't ride that hot hand. And, and it's because of what I've said about running backs, right? There's, there's only so much in the tank they have career wise and season wise, cause they're getting hit every play, even pass pro and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, he does definitely deserve the credit that, that you, you're giving him. And, and some of these running backs are, are going to start to, you're seeing a little bit more of the running game open up because, you know, everything's kind of, 
you know, the passing games have involved. So now the defense is, you know, the, the backside of the defense has got to worry a little bit more about the passing game. And, and now it's opening up the running game a little bit for some of these teams. We'll move on to game three. We have the San Antonio Brahmas at the Arlington Renegades with the Brahmas winning 15 to nine. Despite injuries to Balage, Cone, Sinet, and trying to incorporate a newly signed quarterback, Kurt Benkert, who only had two days to learn the playbook, and he was just thrown right into the mix. The Brahmas dug deep and found their revenge. Just in back-to-back weeks, they got their revenge, which is very surprising seeing the Brahmas only had 59 passing yards in the game. But their running game was led by Patrick was pretty solid. They did pretty well with 111 total yards rushing as a team. Uh, you know, we even got to see Plitt back into action, which seemed to be a precursor for what was to come later in the week. And we'll get to that later. I know I'm just kind of poking that a little bit and that kind of like, hey, newsflash, if you didn't know, there's something coming. What are your takeaways from this game? Well, this was an interesting one, right? I mean, this how San Antonio even won this game is perplexing uh, to me. But sometimes you just you win ugly games. And really, San Antonio needed to win this game. Um, I felt like if they would have lost this game, uh, back-to-back division games, they would have been out of the playoff run. And I think winning this game kind of puts them into the into that conversation now keeps them alive so it was a must win for san antonio uh when it comes to the renegades uh, you know <laughs> the complaint to here is still the same complaint that i've had there are jonathan hayes is just not really understanding what's going on here offensively i don't think their offensive lines as good as they look or Maybe they they don't play as well as they should. But I don't see either quarterback here really saving the day. And and they 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 brought Drew in. I know Kyle was struggling a little bit. I mean, they you know, they bring Drew in and he, he played all right, but again, his his downfall is is getting the ball down the field and pushing it down the field. And the Renegades just can't do that. I mean, for them to to constantly score nine points, 10 points, 12 points. It's going to catch up with you over a 10 game season. And I think it did this week, San Antonio. Juwan pass had a nice little game. I thought he put together and then they, you know, they wanted to get Ben Kirk up to speed as quickly as possible. And I do like this signing. I I'm very excited about Ben Kirk and I know he kind of shied away from the XFL initially and then now they they kind of made the trade and made room for him i think he he can add a lot to this team and it's just going to be a kind of a sense of you know giving him time because again as a packer fan i saw him play a lot of preseason games up here and he, he looked good and I think he can he can definitely play in this league. And if he's got a running game with, you know, with Patrick, if he's got that, they can do a lot of different things off of play action, I think, to push the ball down the field a little bit more. Uh, you know, I know Kurt, he <laughs> completed one pass, two yards, and had completed just as many to the other team. 
but the more important play that he made was he took a shot downfield and they got a large PI penalty out of it. And I think people kind of uh, miss that when they look because they're just looking at his numbers, right? And that was big because obviously it got him in the field goal range. And, and Romo is by far right now the best kicker in the league, you know, and um, he's he's paying some dividends and played a great game. And honestly, he was the MVP of the game, if you ask me. But I'm excited to see what Kurt could do. I don't know what he's got on the outside, really, to help him. I mean, Basher's pretty good, but that's all we've kind of seen. Uh, Mac has kind of disappeared. I don't know if he's been been hurt. Yeah, it was a, definitely a defensive duel and an interesting game when it comes to it. Uh, I think, um, again, if I'm the Brahmas this week, I'm probably going to start Jawan and then, you know, get Kurt in, you know, and let, let Kurt run the, run the offense and see what he can do. I think he can push the ball down the field a little bit better, make some bigger plays for you. And like I tell you, and I tell everybody on this show, the guys in the locker room know the guy that should be in the game. And they probably saw him throw, like I said before, they probably saw him throw a couple of passes and were like, okay, yeah, this guy's got an NFL arm. You know, now he's just got to learn this offense, offense and, and put it together. So I think that's, you know, the takeaway here is if the Brahmas can string a couple more wins together here, especially inside the division, the Renegades are going to be in trouble because they are in trouble. They made a move today, you know, for quarterback. We'll talk about that later, but I don't think that solves their issue. Their Their problems are bigger than quarterback and they need to figure that out yeah you know there's not really much to talk about here and i and i know that seems kind of harsh it is the renegades another team that has literally made me put my foot in my own mouth right the vipers i thought were gonna be the team in the north it sounds like there's an issue probably with just coaching. seems like there's something not connecting there. With Stoops being a veteran and bringing in people like the Hayes brothers, I don't know how they're missing this, but they have missed the boat. I mean, they might be record-wise still sitting in second place in the division. So it's not all lost, but this is far from the team that I thought, and a lot of people thought, with being veterans and people that were going to come in, they should have been hitting the ground running. Yes, they won the first game, but it looks like they won the first game of the season because they played another team that just quite didn't have it together. So they were fortunate enough. Now, okay, it's not over yet. The Renegades had to play against the 0-6 Guardians at some point. So when you look at it, there is opportunity ahead of them. But they're going to have to get that figured out. So there's not much really to talk about X's and O's. They just need to figure it out. There's clearly a problem. Offensive line, whatever. There's clearly a problem. But if you're going to be a playoff team, we already see what the division leader is starting to you know, slip. There's opportunity there. You're only essentially, what, three and three? Not that far out of it. Can you get it figured out? Because you could potentially make, make a run here for the top of the division if you can figure it out. But at this point, it looks like you're slipping your head in the, wrong, the other way. Because if a team that just brought in the third-string quarterback and picked a guy up off the street, yes, talent is talent, but 
if you can come in and somehow beat you while you're at home. So they traveled essentially, you know, everyone's living in Arlington. So maybe everyone's at home technically, but the reality is there is a self-reflection needs to be done with the coaching staff, with the team. It sounds like there might be bigger issues than what we just see. If we're seeing some issues with the quarterbacks, right? We'll get into this all later on with that trade. If there's an issue, well, then there's other things to figure out. It could be not just play calling. It might not just be, I'm a little bit curious, not that we have those answers, but, you know, not to be a dead horse with that. I'm ready to move on to game four if you are. Well, the the one shining spot that the Renegades do have is is their defense. I mean, that defense is really good. So if they can just find a little bit more offense, right? And we're talking turning field goals into touchdowns, they would they would be definitely compete for first place in the division. They're one game out right now. So I mean, those they're gonna be important games coming down the stretch here. So they can't, again, losing back-to-back is hard, is hard on a franchise and a team. So it's, if you lose, hey, can I win the next one? And uh, we'll see. But that's been the one bright side and shining spot for for the Renegades is their defense is, is lights out. They got beat on a couple of big penalty and you know, and some field goals and their offense wasn't able to put enough. I mean, if, if your defense holds a team to 15 points, you should win a football game in my opinion. So hopefully they'll get that together and, and make a run here because it'd be exciting to see, you know, a a division race here coming down the stretch. Well, let's be fair. The team or the defense didn't hold them to 15 points. The ball literally bounced the right way for the Brahma's to pick that fumble up and take it for six. So if we really look at it, the defense didn't even let up 15 points. The offense had a situation where they couldn't take care of the ball. And not only did they turn it over, but it, it put points on, pick it up and take it to the house for the, the Brahmas. So if we look at that, the Renegades defense is solid. It has been solid. It doesn't matter who they're playing. And the argument could be like, well, maybe let's wait to see when they play the North. So maybe there was a little bit more here to talk about, but, yeah, the problems are all on the offensive side of the ball, which is very surprising. And we know, you know, they picked up Bolden, and maybe that takes a little bit of, uh, you know, so there, there's moves that have been happening, not just this week, but last week before this game. So let's see if they can start to fix it, but they're going to need to fix it. They need to fix it fast if they want to keep in, because if the Brahmas start to put something together now with this new quarterback that's got an arm, and if Patrick is showing that he can fill in for Balage. We know he did it back in 2020 with the Vipers back in when he played for Tampa Bay Vipers. So if he can now start to do that, they can figure something to start putting something together. Yeah. The Renegades are going to have to bring their A game, but that'll be for, uh, we'll talk about that in, in the matchups to come. So we'll move right on to game four, which was the game of the week. We had the Houston Roughnecks at the DC Defenders, the Defenders winning 37 to 26. Early on in this game, the Roughnecks essentially kept the Defenders' run game in check. It really looked like, oh, Abram Smith is going to have some issues here. Like, wow, maybe the Roughnecks are what they were advertised to be here in some way, shape, or form, which essentially allowed 
Jordan Ta'amu to set up and give a flashback performance of himself by pairing a solid passing game, which we haven't really seen from him. And that's what I mentioned a few weeks back. Like, what if Ta'amu can actually come out and start throwing that ball like we've seen him do in the past? Well, he stepped it up, made it happen. And then we had the delayed rushing performance by Abram Smith back in the mix who finished five yards shy of 100 yards for essentially not doing much early on, getting stuffed at the line. You know, the defenders are something, aren't they? I mean, we just had a preview of what could be a championship game. What are your thoughts here? Well, yeah, this was this was Jordan's game, right? This was Teamu's game. And, you know, he completed a, a pass on the run, which I told said last week he needed to work on a little bit. And he completed those and he completed all the other ones too. I mean, he was, he was 19 for 31, which is, which is a great stat, but for them to throw 31 times, you know, the, the roughnecks were saying, Hey, Jordan, you need to beat us. And he did. And he had a great game. And when he has games like this, there's no stopping them. Okay. So then the fourth quarter comes, you're getting beat by the pass, right? Well, now you got to make some adjustments so that you're not giving up 50, 60 points, you know? So Houston kind of makes those adjustments. And then Abram Smith, you know, comes in in late third, fourth quarter. And I don't care what you say when it comes to the clock and when it comes to running the clock out, there is a brief stop of the clock when an incomplete pass is, is there sometimes uh, to spot the ball or they go out of bounds. I think, you know, it, it starts when they spot it. So there's a brief spot uh, or stoppage of clock. But when you run the ball, there are many. And really, when you can run the ball over somebody, you're, you're really demoralizing them. You're really wearing them down. And that's what they did. They wore them down offensively. They wore him down defensively. They got another pick six. They're very opportunistic when they get their defense, when they get the ball in their hands. Greg Williams makes people uncomfortable. We're talking about, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about A.J. Smith being a front runner and hopefully maybe a head coach in this league someday. I think Greg Williams is earning himself some some thought there too right now because he makes – you uncomfortable and this team makes you uncomfortable that you start unraveling a little bit. And we saw Houston unravel a little bit um, with the penalties and with the, you know, squirting the official with the water. Like this isn't little league, buddy. It's a professional football game. You can't do that. Like, and, and again, if you're too worried about the officials, you're not worried enough about yourself. And that means you're, you're not playing well, but you know what? I'll tell you this with the roughneck side, when the wheels seem to be unraveling or they seem to be losing their temperament a little bit, I was like, oh God, this is going to be a long second half here. You know what? They kind of got it back together and that showed professionalism by their team after they weren't being professional. I don't know if something was said on the sidelines. I would have gotten my team together and said, hey. You know, it's time to be professional. We can't control what the refs are doing. We can only control what we are doing. Um, so go out and play hard. And don't worry about if they call a penalty and, and make some plays. And and you know what? Cole McDonald did that. 
I didn't know why they pulled Brandon Silvers though. <laughs> I thought he was solid. He was doing well. Um, he did get sacked a couple of times. Like I said, Greg Williams will make you uncomfortable. He will find that weak spot in your offensive line and he will get to you. So you just got to come back from those. You got to be able to come back from being sacked or throwing an interception. But I was surprised that the Roughnecks went with Cole McDonald as much as they did, but he provided a spark. But one of the reasons he provided a spark was they started to run double moves and they started to really take advantage of the aggressiveness of uh, the defender's defense. So I've been waiting for them to that long touchdown pass that Cole McDonald had, you know, he kind of underthrew the receiver a little bit, but you just want to make sure you don't overthrow a wide open receiver like that. You know, that was off of all those outside screen passes. You know, they fake that and then it goes to the, you know, the guy fakes the block and he runs up the sideline. I've been waiting for that. And it, we've seen it a couple of times and they beat him on it. They ran a sluggo route. I've been waiting for that too. Uh, I think the defenders may have ran that too. You know, they, they ran some double moves where, you know, people are jumping the first route stuff. Surprise, it's taken this long for teams to do that a little bit more um, on the outside. Uh, but when people start jumping everything, you start double moving them. And, and they did that. So I, I give the Roughnecks, you know, a lot of credit because they did kind of their attitude around and said, hey, but now you kind of created a quarterback controversy. Like who's going to start next game? Uh, does Cole McDonald, I mean, did he bring a little bit of a spark? Yeah. He had some great runs and, you know, and some great throws and some touchdowns and he didn't look bad, but I didn't realize, you know, I didn't think Brandon Silvers looked bad either. <laughs> so who who's your guy, right? And, you know, when you're leading the league and wins, you, you better know who that guy is. So we'll see next week who they put in there for that. But yeah, I think this was, uh, this was Greg Williams making, you know, the roughnecks uncomfortable and Jordan Tayamu saying, Hey, you're asking me to beat you. And guess what? I'm going to beat you. Which is great. We wanted to see that from Jordan all, all the year anyways. So good for him. Just seemed like we knew this was coming with Cole McDonald because he was always just getting know the conversions or just a little bit here a little bit there it's almost like we knew that at some point he was going to be brought in and actually be given the keys to move forward you know with the offense whether that gets piggybacked into the next game to be determined but this seemed like we should have anticipated i didn't think it would be against the defenders but i guess when you think you need to show something when you think you need to prove something to maybe some of the guys on the sideline or whatever, who knows what the sidelines or the locker room was like at halftime. Maybe, you know, Coach Phillips and company felt like this was the necessary move. It's it's hard because you do look at the numbers, right? And being 10 of 17, Silvers didn't look terrible. Yeah, okay, he threw an interception. But like you said, you know, come on, that one interception – doesn't kill you it's you know how do you come back from that and what do you what can you do next and silver seems to be a guy that has had some turnovers prior in the season and not really lost at all so he's been able to continue to perform so i don't know 
why they thought they needed to bring in McDonald unless they felt there was something more. And again, I'm speculating and I don't typically do that. So there must be maybe a little bit more. Who knows? Because, you know, it's still early enough in the season. I know it's only a 10 game regular season, but still early enough where a lot can happen. And maybe they just needed to know if it came down to it, what do they have? And maybe that just felt like the right moment to do it. Maybe it's not an issue in the locker room or on the sidelines. There could be a number of things here, right? Just like we knew we were going to do this at some point, which is why we're trying to get him into games. So he wasn't completely coming off the bench after sitting for five, six games. And maybe they just thought that this was going to be the time that they were going to catch the defenders and maybe pull something out. Okay. Maybe it could have been part of a game plan that we, we just don't know. Again, it's a big speculation. There's a whole what could be, what might not be. And it now does start a controversy, at least with XFL fans. Maybe they're not, may not be one with the team yet to be seen. Guess we'll find out, right? But I mean, yeah, I guess it's not as surprising looking back a little bit because why else would you give a guy a little bit of taste, a little bit of this and that? guess we should have seen it coming at some point. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Yeah. I, I'm not quite sure where, where they're going with it, but I guess we'll find out. We'll see. I mean, they got two good quarterbacks. I mean, Cole can do some things that maybe Brandon just can't more in that running game. Right. Or taking off and running, you know, a little bit more than Brandon would. So I think maybe they wanted that just because if they were getting some man coverage, you can get a big play quarterback, you know, scramble and, and Cole did got a few first downs with it. So maybe that was their thinking during the game, what they're thinking during the week here leading up to week seven. I'm not, I don't know. I mean, this is, we're going to find out, I guess, when the game starts with them. So, uh, but it'll be interesting. I mean, dropping two games in a row for Houston is big. We thought they were, Really going to be doing well. I think they feel, you know, they're going to go back to the drawing board, but we're going to have a great game again this week with, with them and the Battle Hawks. But we'll see what they do. Looking ahead to week seven, the second half is now underway, right? So forget about what happened in the first half. Now it's all eyes on the playoffs. Right? Any team that's functioning now, it's about playoffs. Not saying in week one and two it wasn't. But part of that was just trying to get your legs underneath you and figure out who you are, what you have, what you don't have. Now it's all about the playoffs. Technically, teams haven't been eliminated because when we looked at the elimination scenarios, it needed the Renegades to win to knock out the Guardians. I just can't see a path forward for the Guardians at this point. But it's the same thing with the Vipers. Technically, are not eliminated when you look at it mathematically. So looking at the first game, we had the 4-2 and two Seattle Sea Dragons at the 3-3 three and three Arlington Renegades. It seems like one team is the favorite here. But now there's a lot of question marks with these moves. So we'll talk about those moves on the Renegades to bring people up to speed that may not be aware. Slaughter's released. Whether he's in the XFL or not, to be determined. We don't know what that means. But he's no longer a renegade. But in the mix, the day later, they make a trade, send in 
Mueller up to Vegas for Luis Perez. So now you have Plitt Perez, who is now the ultimate journeyman within the XFL back-to-back times. He's played 2020, now 2023. What are you anticipating with this matchup for what is Friday night football? I think Arlington, you got to give them credit for trying and going out and doing some things, right? Signing, you know, Turpin and also signing uh, and making this trade to try and, you know, get somebody that, you know, can kind of push the ball downfield a little bit more with Luis. And, you know, you got to give them credit for at least trying that. Now, in two weeks, if if two or, you know, you, you only got a few weeks left. So it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And so they, they're rolling the dice here a little bit, but I think Drew Plitt winds up starting. I, and, but I think Luis plays a little bit. And then next week, I think you'll see Luis come in. Now, the nice thing about being traded in the XFL is that Luis doesn't have to move from Vegas to, to Arlington, you know, or vice versa, right? You just have to show up at a new facility. You're already living in Arlington. So. It's kind of nice. It makes it easy on the players in that regard, because if Louis said the move again, like he did in 2020, that would have been, that would have been kind of uh, crazy, but at least they're trying, but I don't think it really changes anything for this week. I think Seattle's way too good on defense. So I, you know, Arlington might be averaging, you know, nine, 10 points. They'll be lucky if they get there this week. Uh, if Seattle's defense is on our, because I think they're they're too good. Now, the question is, is Seattle going to put up offensively the numbers they need to? I think early on, you're going to see some field goals from Seattle. They'll get in the red zone. They quote, won't might quite make it in the end zone. And as long as Danucci's not making red zone, inter- throwing red zone interceptions, I think Seattle comes out on top easily here. But I think you see early field goals, and then later on in the game, those drives will turn into touchdowns a little bit. Does Arlington have a chance? Yeah, absolutely. But I think Seattle's too good, and and uh, you're, you're just going to see what you've seen out of Arlington all year long. A really good defense, and that gets kind of a little worn out. If Arlington's offense gives up points, or special teams gives up points, for surely they're not winning. Okay, so so we'll we'll definitely see what happens, but you know, obviously I'm taking Seattle for this, for this game easily. So from what I'm hearing and from what I've seen on social media from some pretty reputable people, right. Uh, Other alternative football media personnel or members, other podcast hosts, it appears that Luis Perez will not be active this weekend. So again, it's only Wednesday. We're recording here. So, people, there's still time for that to be changed. But as of right now, it appears that Luis Perez will not be active and it will be Juplet and he'll be backed up by Kevin Anderson. So, again, to be determined, we'll have to see what becomes reality because we've always believed other things to be true and things, other things have happened anyway. So, we have seen crazy and I have a feeling that crazy is not over with here in 2023 for the XFL. Okay, so just don't believe anything to be 100%, whether it's what you say, what I say, what anybody says, anything could happen here. And heck, the Dormany situation showed us that in and of itself. Some guys cut, 
reserve back in playing. Heck, now he looks like he's the man. So I know that's a different team, different <laughs> different game, but that's just a reality. But yeah, I, I can't see them fixing their offense, right? If Slaughter was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to get in the downfield, and he's no longer there. If Plitt wasn't really willing to make those decisions or take those chances, I don't know what we see from Anderson because we haven't seen him. So if that's the case, you just traded for Perez. I, I get you give up a reserve linebacker in Mueller. So in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really hurt. But I mean, if it's a move and you feel like your playoff hopes are on the line, why wouldn't you make him active and just get him into the mix and start to push that? Because even if you lose this game, you're not out. But sooner or later, he needs to kind of get in and start building that chemistry other than just moving from one hotel room to another hotel room with a new you know, roommate and whatnot. So um, I don't know. It does seem like it's the Sea Dragons. I know I've kind of said Danucci didn't really look all that great against the Guardians, but I don't think it's the same Guardians team either, to be fair. So to really kind of go hard at Danucci, it's not what I meant to do, you know, you know, but it's just enough to raise questions and, and whatnot. But I think that's also a reason for a bounce back game. I mean, at some point, if he's going to be the guy that everyone anticipates him to be and what Seattle believes him to be their answer, could this be an opportunity where, you know what? Yeah, you're going up against a solid defense, but you're also probably going to have a lot of opportunities to go at that defense. And that can wear down a defense if the offense just can't stay on the field. And that kind of appears to be a situation where Seattle has enough firepower and if they can have enough possessions and that defense get wore down just enough, yeah, I think Seattle definitely has this. I, I think it's their game. And if they lose it, it's it's really on them. I mean, I mean, short of now the Renegades pulling a Brahmas from last weekend and pulling off the unbelievable, I, I can't see it happening. Yeah, I just don't think enough's going to change in the Renegades. And honestly, if you trade it for the guy and – Drew Plick gets hurt, let's say, second play of the game. You got to ask yourself, who who gives us a better chance to win? The guy we just traded for or the guy that's number three on our roster who probably wouldn't be on our roster if it wasn't for the NFC championship game in the NFL where, you know, every quarterback for the 49ers got hurt, right? And and more. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Renegades went that route. Uh, But you got to, in my mind, that's as a coach and a franchise, that's what you're asking yourself, right? Okay, if Drew Plitt gets hurt, and you got to ask yourself these questions. You're not trying to get somebody hurt. You're not hoping someone gets hurt, but you got to ask yourself these questions. Who gives us a better chance to win the game? Because we need to win the game. I mean, they're they're in a playoff fight now uh, at three and three. They're not sitting pretty like they can give up a game. Uh, so it'll be interesting. And, and Danucci, I, I think he will bounce back. I mean, he'll probably throw three touchdowns and throw one pick, and but we'll be all about the pick, right? So, but we'll see what happens. But yeah, I don't think you're gonna get much difference from the Renegades. You're gonna see the same same thing from them. So, moving on to Game Two of Week Seven, we have the two and four San Antonio Brahmas at the one and five Vegas Vipers. Just in case you haven't seen it, this is what the word on the street is. McClendon is going to be the starter this week, and Hunley is going to be QB2. People, I don't know how much more of a toss-up this could 
potentially be. Okay, now again, I, I, I people, you can't see it, but Mark is kind of blown away right now with what I just said. Again, nothing is done until you know or official until it actually happens. Things can still change. Injuries can happen, right? People can become inactive, whatever. But it, the word on the street is that they're going to go with McClendon, and Hunley is the backup. So. I don't know what you're spending $200,000 on in Hunley if you're not going to start him and why you just traded away Luis Perez. So I'm starting to think more dysfunction is tied to this Vegas coaching staff than anything I probably, and that's saying a lot because Orlando exists in this league. Okay. But now it makes me really wonder this team that I had thought so highly of, I'm starting to wonder why did I have such faith in that coaching staff when obviously there probably shouldn't be any. If if that is the case, Michael, Vegas and Rod Woodson and Rod, you know, I'll say it. If, if they start McClendon, Rod Woodson's over his head and does not know what he's does not know what he's doing. I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. And the only reason we're not talking about their dysfunction so much is because number one, Orlando's dysfunction is worse, but it's getting better. And two, we talk about the Viper Stadium so much and the Vegas venue and how it's been a debacle from the start. So, to, and may mask what's going on inside the, you know, the locker room there. Why do you bring a guy out of the NFL, pay him that much money, and not put him on the field? And if it is because you disagree with him on certain things, maybe you don't like him. Okay. Maybe you're just not jiving with them. Then you don't have experience as a coach. Because I've put in a lot of kids that have, I will always give every former player of mine the benefit of the doubt when I see them now. And we'll give each other thoughts and we'll remember the good times and we'll laugh about some of the funny times when we disagreed. But at the end of the day, sometimes you got to play people you don't like to win football games because that's your job. And and even at division three college, it was our job to win football games. Now it was our job to do that within the rules. Okay. Um, so I wouldn't say we did everything, you know, to win football games. Yeah. Sometimes we had to make points, but I think there's more dysfunction than you're right. than than can be, you fired your offensive coordinator. You're arguing with the refs constantly because you're too focused on them and not focused on you. And I think he's done over his head. I think I'm going to go back again. I had the number down, but. Look at the record of the coaches that had head coaching experience at any level versus the ones that, that did not have head coaching experience at any level, let alone coaching experience that are head coaches. It's harder than it looks and, and experience matters. So if that's the case, I, I think Rod Woodson's over his head. Like, you know that Brett Hudley is the best chance to win. Unless we're, we're not seeing things in practice, but when he goes out in the game, he plays well. He gets everybody involved. He runs the ball. Uh, so I don't understand it if that's happening. Now, like you said, things might change, okay, and maybe that's a rumor. 
but I would be, I'll be flabbergasted if it happens. And, and I'll just shake my head at, at this franchise right now that, you know, really has, is the XFL is botched completely, uh, kind of the whole Vegas. Now the, now the coaching staff's kind of botching the games. So now when it comes to San Antonio, San Antonio has to keep pace here. So they could wind up in a second place tie with a win here and they'll know that. And we'll see who starts the game for San Antonio. You know, obviously I think they want Kurt to be in there, but Jawan does play pretty solid. He did play pretty solid early on in the last game. So really this one's going to be interesting and, and thank goodness it's the, it's probably the last game we're going to see at Cashman field. Uh, unless some barring some playoff miracle by the Vegas could be the last one we see there. But I think Himes Ward, you know, has a little bit of, you know, sense of like, Hey, this wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. And I need to step up to the occasion. So I think Rod Woodson needs to do that now too, to salvage the Viper season. You don't need to make points with your, with your team or, or be the you know moral high ground. You got to go out there, coach them up and, and win some games. So I like San Antonio in this game, just because I think they're a better team. And like you said, there's probably more dysfunction in the Vegas locker room than, than what we see. So Looking forward to it. I mean, I'm always going to watch it, but uh, we'll see what happens. But it, I mean, if McClendon starts, you know, Hunley's going to wind up in the game anyways. So just put him in the game. Just start him. Jesus, I don't know what's going on. So when I'm showing you, this is from the Vipers' own Twitter account. Activated. Do you see what's up in the corner? Okay. Who be one? So as of right, right now. We're see. Unless an injury happens here, McClendon is QB1 for this game. Does that mean he takes the first snap or the first series and exits as a strategy? I don't know, but at this point, like you said, there's dysfunction. I've said it. It's clear. Something isn't right here in Vegas. You know what? I'm not going to beat that that horse. But Yeah, but why... Why why are you bringing in Brett Hudley if 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 you're not going to play him? Like, did he not seem what he what you thought he was going to be? Like, I I've seen him play here in the XFL. He seems pretty good. Well, you just so brought him I, in, I, and he looked all right this last game where Luis wasn't doing it. Right. Obviously, you trade away Perez, but um, it just you did trade away Hudley. Maybe no one wants that that contract. I can't imagine it's all coming out of the same pockets, which is the XFL pockets. It's not a a team owner here. So they're not franchises owned by different individuals. It's teams owned by right. one league and one ownership yes. group. And that so, money. Well, it, it does. And so I don't have the answer and I'm not saying you had the answer. This is kind of a surprise. I just wanted to make sure I, I got that here before we went on to who we thought was going to start when the reality is we are told it is McClendon is QB one. It is what it is folks. Okay. Unreal. But, let me shift to take a look here at San Antonio. San Antonio pass actually didn't do too bad. And then Ben Kurt only had two days. Give him, you know, give him a week now with the team. And maybe that's just what he needed. Got off his couch. I know he was 
wasn't playing initially in the XFL because of family reasons. He really thought he needed to be there with his wife, his daughter, because he had just been all over the place and maybe just looking at it. All right. He maybe had some regret, maybe had some conversations. He really thought you need to do this. The opportunity, you know, when a door closes, sometimes it closes all the time, but sometimes that window opens. Right. And he had a, another opportunity just with a different team. And for him, who knows what happens here? And if they can piggyback, it wasn't really the offensive production that pulled out the victory against Renegades. I mean, I just, if they didn't have that fumble taken back for six, who knows what's happening? But sometimes the moral victory, it was a victory, but even a moral victory can help motivate teams. And it could just be enough against a team that is dysfunctional, that is not doing so. As crazy as it sounds, I'm going to go with the team that only had 59 yards passing last week. I'm going to go with the team that also doesn't quite have the quarterback situation under control. Maybe, I don't know to what extent Jack's injury is. Maybe we can get him back. Again, I don't know that. I don't have that answer. I'm not saying you have it either. But if that's enough, maybe. But I'm assuming if they went after Kurt Benker, Jack's probably not in the immediate plans for a week or two. Maybe later in the season, he might be back. I'm assuming if you went after Kurt and you pulled off a trade to make that happen, the thought is Kurt is going to be your guy. Rest of the way would be my thought. It's mine as well. And I think it's everybody's when it, when it comes to it. The, the situation with Ben Kurt is, is it just, it changed, right? Uh, you know, they wanted him to, he was with the Arlington assigned, right? And, you would have been one of three quarterbacks and we see how Arlington is <laughs> doing with quarterbacks right now. You know, he may, he may have been like, nah, that's, that's not quite what I want to do yet. And then, you know, a little later the phone rings and they say, well, Hey, you can come and play and you're probably going to start the second week you're here. I'm off off the couch too. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, that's a better situation than competing with two other guys that that really he probably, you know, if he's playing for the Renegades and looking like the other, you know, Sloter and Drew Pruitt, that's not good for his career either. So maybe it wasn't the timing wasn't right there. He's got a little bit of a running game with San Antonio and, and was like, I can come in and I can start. So why not take that opportunity, uh, you know, to do that and to try and get some reps in before he, you know, becomes a camp arm, you know, or, you know, he might make a squad this year because the NFL may require three quarterbacks to be at, you know, to an emergency quarterback after what happened at the NFC championship game. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, but um, I expect him to play. I, I expect Jawan to play a little bit, but I think Kurt gets the bulk of the, the snaps. Definitely. And I think San Antonio run, you know, I think they run away with this one. So. Well, we'll move on to game three. We have the six and O DC defenders at the O and six Orlando guardians. This can't be any greater of the haves and have nots. And I'm not trying to be overly funny. I know I'm, I'm kind of making a point. But, um, yeah, the Guardians are kind of improving, but they are self-inflicted wounds week after week after week at the worst moments, too. 
moments, always at the worst moments. It's not like on your first down of a, you know, of a drive, you just have your false start. It's not like it's the first down of a drive. You just have the holding call. You have them at the worst moments and the offensive line breaks down at the worst moments and the wrong decisions made at the, but maybe they're just not conditioned because of the dysfunction there when the game or the moment they can't rise to that situation, right? Well, the other team doesn't have a problem to figure it out. When the running game wasn't working, the quarterback was, and when the quarterback maybe is not doing as well, the running back is tearing it up for 200 yards. Okay, people, that defense is coming at you. If you did not think you would see anything worse than you already have, Greg Williams is going to bring the house on a team that we know offensive line has issues. And they're just not disciplined. So you know this team's going to frustrate the heck out of this offensive line. I cannot anticipate the Guardians have any chance in this game. This is where they get eliminated, mathematically. I mean, we already knew that they probably, anyone in their right mind knew they weren't a playoff team. But this is where they get eliminated mathematically. Am I wrong? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I mean, this this is... The biggest problem DC is going to have is not playing down to Orlando's level. That's the only problem that they're going to have in this game. Now, that's a long fall away, though. That is a, you know, so even if they get half, if they play, you know, if they have a subpar game and it's a C plus, they still win by two touchdowns. You know, if Orlando, this is a game where if everything goes perfect for Orlando and everything goes wrong with DC, it's a tie game. And I think DC still wins it by three. And that means everything's got to go Orlando's way. But what's going to happen is DC gets under your skin because they play physical, they play fast. You know, they're up-tempo and offense, too. And if one thing is working, they're going to they're gonna pound you. And I just can't see Orlando even, even having a chance unless they play a perfect game. But that means D.C. has also got to play, you know, <laughs> so bad that and, – and, and, I mean, you could bring and, – and even if, like, anybody gets hurt, you know, you get a Jordan or Abram, they're still going to run over them. I mean, so DC just, they just need to go in and be themselves and play hard and not worry about their records of this team. Because sometimes you can, um, how do I put it? You know, play down to an opponent's level when you're better than them. But even if, they they got a far way to drop down to to play to Orlando's level. So I think you'll you'll see DC easily run away with this one. Easily. Not a problem whatsoever. I know they say any given Sunday, any team can win. Well, this game's on Saturday, people, so it's a DC Defenders game. Okay. So <laughs> okay. I got my There you go. There you go. Bad joke in there. Okay. We'll move on to game four which will be the last preview of the night of the week. We have the four and two St. Louis Battlehawks at the four and two Houston Roughnecks. Now we have a team that's 
slipping. I'm not trying to act like big time because we are seeing some good things in some of these games, right? So they're not like completely a disaster like some of these other teams we've seen. But we also have a team that's coming off a very good game. Yeah, they played against a bad team, but they're coming off a very good game. So I don't know. I'm seeing a lot from St. Louis is a solid team. I think they're coming into their own. And again, those terms rookies. And I'm not talking about players. I'm talking about coaches. Coach Beck is no longer a first-time head coach, right? They got, they've won. They've lost. Grankowski is not a first-time offensive coordinator, in my opinion, anymore. These guys now have got plenty of time together. They've dug in the trenches. They've won. They've lost. But they've only lost to one team, which just happens to be the best team. So I know a lot of people look at Seattle, but I really think the second best team in that division is the Battlehawks. So I think if Houston is going to pull it together, they better pull it together quick because I think they got a battle on their hands. Well, yeah, this is an important game for both of these teams. You know, Houston. You know, they've lost back-to-back games. So, I mean, losing three in a row, that's a losing streak. That's what you call a streak. And in St. Louis, I mean, with D.C., I don't think anybody's going to catch D.C. in the North. Okay? I don't think, you know, I could be wrong. You know, there are some in-division games, you know, uh, with with that, uh, you know, with the weeks winding down, right? But... I don't see anybody really catching DC right now in in the north. So really, it's 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 Seattle and St. Louis. So they they kind of need to keep pace with if Seattle wins, right? Which they'll know, okay. In this game, they need to kind of keep pace, and Houston needs to too. They're, I mean, if they start slipping, you know, then the you know the South becomes up for grabs, right? I mean, it it really does. So. I think this is a close one. This one's going to come down to the final possession or final couple of possessions. And we're going to see, you know, who comes out there again, Houston, it's going to be interesting to who we see start at quarterback. I think Houston is missing Kirkland a little bit more than we think at first. And sometimes when you lose your big playmaker, it takes a couple of games to find out who the new playmaker is. Well, is that Cole McDonald? Could be. So if that's the case, sorry to interrupt, but he needs to be on the field a lot more. So that's where that's at Silver's detriment. But well, yeah, because. Cole can, he can scramble and and make a play or two, right? Like he can get a couple first downs or a big play or an explosive play running with his legs. You know, Brandon's not known for that guy. So it'll be interesting to see how that, how that turns out and how that plays out. But yeah, this is a, you know, really it's a, to me, this is a toss up because I think it's a very important game for both teams. And I think Houston's going to be very well prepared. I think too good of a coaching staff there to let the you know emotion that they had or you know kind of the the breakdown but like i said they got that together right away in the game it didn't last the rest of the game so they're they're going to come back and come out firing so this is going to be this is be a good one 
you know, and you know, it's Sunday on ESPN, 1 PM central time. So, you know, hopefully it, it gets a lot of eyeballs on it because I think if people are watching this game, they're going to see a back and forth game here a little bit and we'll, we'll definitely see what happens, but you know, if I had to pick, you know, St. Louis is winning those games down, you know, those close ones at the end. But Houston needs this game, and they need it bad. And so if they play like that, but I, I think it, this is going to be a one-possession game, and it's going to come down to those those last few possessions to see who makes the plays then and can really, um, you know, finish the game, you know, with, uh, you know, scoring. and. So this is going to be a good one. I think this one's going to be really good. Well, I think it's going to be good. No doubt. I think this is the game of the week. And not just because of two winning teams. I think it's a statement game for both teams. They are going to know the people that are knocking on the door behind them, so to speak. Right? If Seattle wins, that puts pressure on the Battlehawks. If the Renegades pull out a win, the reality is, I, I don't think it happens, but it's one of these teams are going to feel it. Somebody's going to feel the pressure. And that might just make a team more hungry, more alert, or it could also make them a little bit more desperate. So, again, I think this is still going to be the team of the week, but the other team could feel a little bit too confident, too. So, either way, I, I, I always play these double-edged swords and, you know, <laughs> you know right. both sides of each coin, so to speak. The reality is, this is a statement game for both of them. Take the other element up. The Battlehawks need to only have losses to the defenders, right? To say that we are the next best team, no matter what. Houston needs to stop their slide. And if they're going to be that league or division leader that they have been, this is it. This is where the buck has to stop here. This is where it has to be. So I think there's so much on the line for both of these teams that this is, I think it's going to be a heck of a matchup. I, I really do. So in the, so if there's only one game you tune into this week, folks, this is it right here. Forget about who what you're a fan of. This is the game right here. This is the one to watch. Absolutely. Well, that wraps it up. Another long discussion, whether people realize or not, Later on, we had some technical difficulties. We soldiered through it one way or another. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, to get your insight, to get your thoughts. I know the crazy part of the XFL season isn't over. It's only getting crazier, which makes it actually more interesting, even though it's more frustrating in ways, depending how you look at it. But I think this is the time that if you've tuned in, this is where you definitely don't tune out. Because now it's, all these games have true ramifications for playoffs. And uh, there are teams going to be eliminated. Somebody, somewhere, and mathematically it's going to happen. Whether we felt like it wasn't already the case. But I'll give you one more opportunity if you want to throw your social media out there. I know you probably are sick of sharing your handle. But have at it. Just because you never know when we have a new listener or two. Absolutely. So um, I'm on Twitter on Twitter uh, at uh, Mark underscore Hallbach. That's M-A-R-K underscore H-A-L-B-A-C-H. Uh, if you want, you know, reach out to me and uh, tell us how this show's going. We'd appreciate some feedback. So 
we did get a huge like by uh, XFL 2023's Twitter account this week. So that was uh, that was fun uh, to see. And it's, uh, you know, I think that is a tribute to, to Michael and ever, all the time he's put in. I know I've only been on about seven shows now, so. But uh, Michael's put in a lot of time here, so I think uh, that is a that's a great honor to to have them at least uh, say that, and hopefully we'll get another one here shortly. And uh, you know, like us, and you know, retweet us, and uh, you know, let we'll get the word out there a little bit more. Well, I appreciate the kind words, but don't sell yourself short because this show is only as good as the people that have been willing to grace the show with their presence and their thoughts, their knowledge and you as much as anybody, if not more, obviously for the amount of times you come on the show and discuss the games. And that's what it's all about the football. So your analysis, your thoughts, the way you see the game. And I think it resonates with people and I think it's resonated with the league. And I think that's why that huge light came in. So do not sell yourself short that I believe you as much as anybody. I know I've been here since day one of this show, but the reality is I didn't get the like in day one, two or three. So uh, it came in well uh, with your contribution. So thank you. And please take some credit for that because you have actually made sure you set aside the time and we've been communicating more so offline just to make sure this happens. And we've shifted recording times and stuff. And I know it kind of pushes the episodes out a little bit, but it has to work for two people's schedules and, you're a contributor, but you're a member of the team. And I, and I wholeheartedly believe that. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that, Michael. So let's, uh, let's have a great week this week and uh, meet up again next week to get everything uh, talked about again. All right? all right. Looking forward to it. I am glad we were able to fight through our technical difficulties and share Mark's thoughts on week six and preview this weekend's games. I believe his insight and opinion is valuable. Unfortunately, Mark will not participate in next week's episode, for he will be on vacation with his family. As I have also mentioned earlier, I will now be joined by XFL Fan Zone's David Taylor to discuss the current state of the XFL. Welcome, David. I appreciate you taking the time to come onto the show to discuss the XFL with me. Hey, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Before we get into the XFL... I believe it is always important and helpful for our listeners for them to become familiar with the guest, in this case, you. So if you could take a moment and share with our listeners a little bit about your background, who you are, what it is that you have in the fire, what those irons in the fire, so to speak, are. That way we kind of get a little bit more of your backstory. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. So uh, my name is David Taylor. Uh, I originally started covering uh, spring uh, spring football, or I guess summer football, with the AFL a couple of years ago when I lived in Philadelphia. And uh, some guys and I uh, working on XFLFanZone.net, uh, we decided to take that over and, uh, and give it a shot in the XFL in the spring. And you know how 2020 went. We loved it, and we went right after it, and uh, was really booming. Uh, I'm currently living in North Carolina right now. Uh, I'm a sixth-grade math teacher. <laughs> so. Um, this is sort of a hobby for me or, or like a labor of love, I guess you could say. And so I've sort of clung to the D.C. defenders because they're the most geographically close to me, which was a fortunate for me so far this season. But, yeah, so we've been, you know, churning out a couple of couple of things a week, you know, trying to keep everybody abreast of uh, 
who we think is the best in the league and uh, what's going on, you know, day to day with the XFL and making some previews and picks, which I've had some decent luck with this year. So I've been kind of excited about that. But that's me. That's who I am. You know, I've been a teacher for a long time, 22 years. So uh, just doing this because uh, I also enjoy writing, I like covering sports and everything like that. So. Seeing that you have tuned into the XFL for quite some time since 2020 and even attended some Defender games at Audi Field, I thought I'd reach out and discuss the league with you. You know, with week six in the books, XFL 3.0 has surpassed the 2.0 iteration. So many alternative football media members have created their own midseason awards, acknowledged top performers which is great and all. However, I'm more interested in the mid-season state of the league. And with you being a fan, and I know there's a stigma about fans or fan shows and stuff, but I think it is so important that you're not just a fan that's just tweeting something out. You're also writing, like you said, that labor of love, so to speak. So here you are dedicated to doing this thing. No different than here I am, a fan of a, in created a podcast, and this has kind of turned into another labor of love, almost a full-time job that just doesn't pay as well. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> right. But I think it is important to kind of get that from the fans, not just from executives or ownership. I believe the XFL are set up to succeed for longevity, and as fans for perspective does matter in how we get to that and i know we've seen it falter in 2001 right. and then you know the pandemic and some people claim that there's some other factors that maybe why it demised in 2020 but we won't get into that what matters now is xfl 3.0 and we have got past a halfway point we just saw week six played we're seeing ownership doing interviews and with whether it's USA Today and all this stuff, which is great. And they're going to kind of talk about X amount of things. You know, chairwoman and old co-owner Danny Garcia is essentially said the league is positioned and the measurables at the halfway point of the 2023 season guarantee a 2024 season. Great news, right? Everything that we want is a season two. One thing the XFL brain has never done is gotten to season two. So, with that being said, as someone invested in the league as a fan and media member, in your opinion, how has the league stacked up so far? Well, you know, I think it's doing pretty well. You know, it seems like this past weekend might have been the best numbers. I just saw one graphic on um, from ABC, I guess, the Orlando game over the weekend. You know, Orlando, unfortunately, is winless in the league, but they had over a million viewers on a Saturday afternoon during March Madness, you know, which I thought was wildly good uh, for that matchup. And so um, I think that, you know, everything can always be better, right? You know, there's always room for improvement. We can't just fool ourselves and say this is the best thing we've ever seen and there's no flaws. But um, seeing the huge viewership in that game and then seeing, like, the attendance numbers go up, for example, at the Renegades game, that was their highest attendance of the season. And then um, last night, uh, the Defenders put out 12,000 people on a Monday night in Washington, D.C. I thought was pretty incredible. I'm sure that game, you haven't seen the ratings for that yet, but I'm sure that one's probably going to be very highly rated because it was the two best teams and it was 
very competitive. And so I think that was probably, you know, a lot of word of mouth. Hey, you got to tune into this. So I'm very happy with where the league is right now. I think, you know, there, there's always room for improvement. And I think that they will may, you know, may be looking at some different things in the offseason. You know, we can speculate on that. But right now, you know, getting to week six and seeing actually numbers increasing at week six is, is a very exciting trend, in my opinion. We always have naysayers. And you're always mm-hmm. going to have the troll on social media for whatever reason. Maybe they truly believe the stuff that they're peddling. Maybe they just do it for reactions and that's their their hobby just to do it that way so who knows we see so many different things everyone wants to compare 2023 season to the 2020 season like we had mentioned before we kind of got started how we thought that it was just doing so well and that so that essentially is the measuring stick of what success is so we see a million viewers on saturday on broadcast television And now everyone's like, well, it's not quite stacking up, right? Well, we see attendance figures. And in some cases we see them looking, I think, I think they're all right. I'm not concerned, but I know some people compare them to the same markets in 2020. And they're like, they're just not quite at 2020 numbers. We can go down this list of these comparisons because that is what everyone wants to compare it to. But what everyone's failing to acknowledge is that the landscape has shifted significantly as a nation after the pandemic, significantly within professional sports, you know, within this alternative football season, this window that's non-NFL, we have so much more going on. We have so many arena leagues, so many more professional outdoor leagues, whether it's the USFL, we even know the Major League Football try to get up and going last year for whatever reason, but it sounds like it's coming back this year. It makes us just happen to wonder, did we lose some people? Did they just get burned out? And like, you know what? I'm just not going to give spring football, professional spring football a chance anymore. Is it just that we got people now that are just more invested in these other things? Is it just that we still have people not coming out because of the pandemic and they're just a little fearful for themselves, not putting themselves out there any more than they need to because they have underlying health issues. So, I mean, like, I know you're not mm-hmm. a doctor. I know you're you're not the president. You're not coming out right. and be like, I have the all the answers here based off all these uh, research. But mm-hmm. why do you think the landscape has, I mean, do you believe it has shifted and that we're not going to see exactly what we saw in 2020 just because of fundamental changes? Or is it, do you think it's something else? You know, I do think the landscape has changed just not only in the sports world, but just in society in general. I think that we're a little bit more of a I'll believe it when I see it kind of people, you know, because all of our normalcy got taken away from us in 2020. You know what I mean? I remember when I, I was teaching that year and I told a kid we went home that the Friday, it probably this will probably be two weeks, man. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Like those words like still cling in the air to me, you know, what I mean, because none of us thought that it was going to shut down the world for as long as it did. And. So I think, I mean, my, myself included, I'm a little bit of a, you know, I was honestly taking a deep breath this weekend that week six was going to happen. You know what I mean? Because like I said earlier, that's where it cut us off the first time. And I was like, man, if we can just get to week six, maybe we can maybe we can breathe a little bit and maybe the numbers will start to come up and maybe that's what we're seeing. But I, I really do think that, you know, nowadays people are kind of like, I need this to happen and prove to me over and over again that it's happening. I think just as a as, as a nation and as a 
humanity, we need a little bit more reassurance than we used to uh, for things like this. I agree. I think chairwoman and co-owner Danny Garcia said at best, or was quoted best in the USA Today article that just came out the other day. It felt like the monkey was taken off her back or off the league's back. I kind of feel the same way. And I'm not trying to jump on and, you know, trying to ride her coattails, so to speak, on it. But it does kind of feel that way. I agree with you that we were all so invested into the league in 2020 that it got ripped away from us. Like we were talking about the rug just got pulled out from underneath the league and the fans that were really into it. I remember being involved in fantasy leagues and, you know, having viewing parties and stuff. I had buddies riding with me from Syracuse down to met life. And I, we were buying extra tickets and staying in hotel rooms. Like Mm -hmm. we were growing it in an organic kind of way. And and I'm saying we, cause I can't be the only one that was doing it Mm -hmm. this way. Right. That ripped away. We were just so invested in, I felt like I lost the team that I had supported, whether it was my NFL team or my college football team. It just felt like I lost it because we knew the league had put so much money and needed to get some money back, right, to essentially guarantee. So I knew it wasn't a good situation, not to dwell on the pandemic, but here we are. That monkey is off our back, and it does kind of feel that way. I mean, am I using the right metaphor? No, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I do. I, I agree with you. I think that there was, like I said, it was like to being able to breathe, take a deep breath. Oh, okay, maybe this is going to finish this year. You know, because even I, you know, a few years back, I first started writing for the Alliance of American Football. You know, if you remember that a few years ago with like Orlando Apollos and teams like that, and they didn't make it. You know what I mean? So like for me, it was like Orlando didn't make it. And then I covered arena football and it got faced with some litigation and it didn't make it. And then it went to the XFL and the pandemic and it didn't make it. And so I'm with you, man. I felt like the, it got taken away from me. I felt like I was losing like parts of like myself almost, you know, things that mattered to me because it was so devastating, you know, cause this was so much fun. I agree with you. Like, uh, we had bought personalized jerseys and like, my brother and my father, we were heading to D.C. Uh, later that year for like game eight, I think, or something like that, that season. You know what I mean? I got, I got it customized with Taylor on the back. You know, my dad's favorite number and all that. You know what I mean? He had never, he's older, you know, so he had never seen one of these games. And so we were all fired up about it. And then, you know, that jersey hung in his closet for until I wore it to game one. <laughs> you know what I mean? And in 2023. So, yeah, I agree with you. It felt like, like a personal loss uh, to me. Well, we have it. It's back, right? We have the next season is guaranteed. So, you know, I want to look at some other things because I mentioned trolls or haters or fans (laughs) of other leagues. Correct. You know, with all these recent alternative professional football leagues, doesn't matter (laughs) which one it is, we've seen situations where teams, coaching staffs have released players tied to questionable situations. In many cases, those teams and coaching staffs have been viewed unfavorably, right? Whether it's social media, like everyone just kind of rags on various coaches for releasing certain players. You know, we had that Pizzagate and whatnot Mm -hmm. in the USFL, you know, unfortunately. And the reality is the XFL 3.0 has had their own. It's different, but they've Mm -hmm. had their own situation with the Orlando Guardians and quarterback Quentin Dormady. Ultimately, the situation was properly reviewed 
and Dormany was cleared of any wrongdoing and or has even been at, you know placed back on the active roster, received significant playing time. Heck, he's even looked pretty good when he came back in for a team that hasn't looked all that good as a whole. That's right. This started out as a black eye for the league. Just it's hard to fathom that somebody would give up the playbook or share X, Y, and Z, right? It's just kind of like, oh, geez, here we go. Is this mm-hmm. going to be that type of news where people are like, oh, I can't follow this, blah, blah, blah. But now that the matter has been resolved, how do you see that situation, the fallout or how it played out, impacting the league and its perception moving forward? Well, you know, I think that had he not been reinstated and would have been, you know, out just in the media and would have been some angry guy that was going to, you know, down the league and, and really give his side of the story and really sensationalize it. I think that that really would have been, you know, like you said, a black eye. But I believe the league handled it the exact way they needed to. And I honestly think that the only people who are going to really remember that in the coming, you know, couple, two, three years, are probably going to be guys like you and I who were just were were there at the start of it when it when it broke. And we're going to be glad that we that nobody else remembers it at that point. I do think it's kind of a, like a non-factor now, especially like you said, because he's gotten to play quite a bit and it clearly, I mean, he's getting the ball and he's throwing touchdown passes and moving the ball down the field. I mean, his teammates are behind him, you know what I mean? So it seems like that Orlando, unfortunately they can't get any wins just yet, but they do seem like they're trending maybe in the right direction because they're finally scoring some points. And so I think that seems to be the focus now in Orlando is winning football games again versus whatever was happening with all of the infighting early on. When I look at this situation, obviously it wasn't ideal. Right. Obviously for a player, it could have ruined his career. Because, I mean, that stigma, who would ever trust him with a playbook, let alone to be the leader of men, you know, Correct. in the huddle. Mm-hmm. I do see this situation as something that, I agree, I don't think many people are going to stick with it. You know, or it's not, it's not going to resonate with them for long, and they're not going to use that to formulate their opinion in the near future or long term. What I do think will happen or is going to happen from this moment forward is I think this was an opportunity for whether it's the Guardians, whether it's the XFL executives from the league point of view. I think this may have been an an eye opener Mm -hmm. as to if we have situations like this, let's not cut the player instantly. Right. In then see what happens because you had to know that somebody was going to be, why am I cut? This isn't true. You Mm -hmm. knew that something was going to come of it, a bad news. Obviously all the major news outlets are looking for something to cover. Even though they don't want to cover the XFL, but they would jump on something like this Mm because it seems like a big story to cover. So I think this might've actually, regardless of how bad, how negative of it it was, Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. think there's something good to come of it that they're going to kind of alter their in-house approach internally, you know, like, so we'll put the person on inactive. We do that with a bunch of players. People don't have to know why, you know, whether it's injury, whether it's this or that, it could be like the person's just, uh, you know, inactive due to family. I'm not saying make it up, but there's ways to then kind of work it out in-house before. So I think this was a learning opportunity. It's Mm kind of interesting to think that a lot of these executives have been tied into professional football before, but as far as Danny Garcia being a chair, one, she is new to the sports world. 
We know mm-hmm. Dwayne's not involved and Jerry's not involved as much as Danny as being is being the chairwoman. So I think there's good to come of this to make sure this situation or anything in the realm of it being similar doesn't happen again. So, I mean, like, is it unfortunate? Yeah. But is it part of growing pains? Yeah. Also, yes, it's probably was necessary, maybe not exactly, but necessary for something to happen and happen fairly quickly and not on a good team. Right. And, but that could also be something to said as to why this was or handled the way it was because of a rookie head coach, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an organization as far as a team, we know they're not franchises, but a team that's just not performing well. So it's easy to jump on hearsay or, right. you know, whatever, a little bit quicker and be like, well, that's got to be the issue. And, but I mean, mm-hmm. it looks like something positive could be, I mean, Am I looking at that fairly that maybe this is just a learning opportunity and they're going to get their, their house in order and, and their, mm-hmm. you know, practices, procedures, whatever. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was the best case scenario that it happened one early in the, earlier in the season. Uh, it happened to a team that was not necessarily making big headlines just yet. You know what I mean? If that would have been, you know, on the Houston, uh, you know, on the Roughnecks team as they were three, four and oh at the time, that would have been a little bit more drama, you know, involved. And so, I, I like I said, I think that they're like, oh, my goodness, yeah, we didn't do this right. Let's go back. But they backtracked and they fixed it. And I think that's that's the bigger piece here um, to, you know, to think about. The other piece with that, I think, that will will kind of solve itself as the league gets a little bigger. Uh, you know, these guys are all staying together, right, like in, in Texas somewhere. So, I mean, you got – I'm surprised, <laughs> you know, they got access – I mean, they're eating lunch and dinner with each other all the time anyway – it would be for me personally, it would be hard not to let something slip out about what we're trying to do that week, you know. So just you know, as the league expands, uh it's it's you know financial base and where these guys are getting to stay, you know, apart from each other. I mean, some of this stuff is gonna take care of itself anyway. Yeah, there are certain decisions that probably have implications that weren't factored in initially. Yes, mm-hmm. cost saving measures look good on the balance sheet. But when you look at right. what the other factors that could come from it, I don't know if it was considered, if it was discussed, and how they would mm-hmm. avoid such situations. But again, we know that things are different this time around, whether it's they're looking at controlling expenditures in a way that Vince McMahon didn't do in 2020. So, I mean, like, again, there are going to be growing pains. We see the USFL doing their hub or now their multi-hub situation or um, mm-hmm. the way they're doing multiple venues, but two teams for, you know, city. Obviously they got to get it right or else we don't have a future of a league. So that is vital to success longevity, but we do know that it's going to have some things. And again, like I said, I think the way that this was handled, it gives an opportunity to keep things in house a little bit different. But I also think now they're going to look at what they got to do moving forward to control if they do proceed in a hub in Arlington for season two. Mm-hmm. And how can we avoid from similar situations or other issues that we haven't factored in from because wait, we know that these teams are right on the same lights. Right. You see when things got chippy between the Battlehawks and the defenders at Audi Field, how was that flight back? 
And I mean, we don't, we don't have to know, but I mean, can you imagine right. how trying to get everyone on a plane for a couple hours? It just doesn't seem like a good idea. Now we see, you know, some things again with the roughnecks and, mm-hmm. you know, defenders to some extent. I mean, I don't know if we, if we as in the XFL, I, mean, I always say we, cause I'm invested into the league with a show and whatnot, but I'm, I'm obviously not in the payroll, but the league probably didn't think those things through. They looked at again, the balance sheet. So, I wonder how much more of that they will look into and try to rectify in ways. How will they control that? I know this is not exciting conversation pieces, but I think this is as we're kind of going on now, we're seeing those growing pains and yeah. and we're seeing it impact play a little bit. We just don't know how much, right? I, I hope that right. we don't see suspensions for stuff off the field that are tied to planes or hotels. And I mean, like, again, it just kind of, it seems silly, but you know, not to, not to, beat on that mm-hmm. so much but you were talking about how we have you know the guardians are not doing so hot we have the defenders that are doing really great in a lot of cases we see parity in a lot mm-hmm. of startup leagues that's the term that's used over and over again and that's to essentially guarantee that no fan base ends up just giving up because it's right. so bad here we are 2023 iteration three, we call XFL 3.0. We have an undefeated team at six and home. We have a team that is completely defeated at 0 and six. And we just saw on national broadcast television on ABC fans putting on, it's not for the first time, but in the XFL paper bags on their heads. Yep. I kind of, I kind of look at this and I'm like, you know what? This makes it a real league, in my opinion, because you have like the Detroit Lions for so long. <laughs> they haven't just been relevant. They've always battled for the, you know, first overall pick. Even the Jaguars were kind of a mess of a franchise for a while in the National Football League. So to see fans doing that, it kind of seems somewhat normal. But it is odd for a startup because essentially <laughs> it's a startup again. Doesn't matter if it hit ties of 2020 or 2001. Right. Uh, what's your feel on this disparity between mm-hmm. teams? And what do you think that mm-hmm. kind of, I don't mind it so much because I think it means that they're passionate. They're still showing up mm-hmm. and they're kind of showing some, but I mean, I don't know. What, what do you, what do you think when you, you see the haves and the <laughs> absolutely have nots? Right. Yeah. You know, and, and the nice thing is we have the six and O and the, and the O and six, but then everything else is pretty close in the middle there within one or two games of each other. Um, you know, if the sea dragons were in the South or if it was East and West or however, you know, the alignment was different, then you'd have a whole different look to the league. You know what I mean? With a couple of four and two teams like fighting it out and things like that. So I think it's close. I actually like that the guardians fans have bags over their head. Cause it's almost like they're just owning it. You know what I mean? Kind of like how, you know, Cubs fans for years and years and years would go to Wrigley Field no matter what. They're just, they're our Cubs. We're going to go and we're going to drink beer and we're going to celebrate, you know, our team no matter what. And I think the bag over the head is, you know, honestly a fun way to kind of manage, you know, the disappointment a little bit. You mitigate it because you might get on TV, you go home, you know, later that night and watch the replay. Like, oh my gosh, there I was. That's the bag on my head right there. You know what I mean? You get to screenshot it and put it on your Instagram or whatever. 
And so, I mean, I think that's kind of fun, you know, if they, you know, obviously I personally would love to see them win one or two on the, down the stretch because I would love to see every team get at least one win because that's, you need that. And, you know, it can't be, you know, winless forever, but I think it's good. I think you're, I think uh, what you said makes a lot of sense. It's like, it's a real league now. Yeah. Like they're. It's just, they didn't give up. They did, It's not that like, it doesn't matter if they have season tickets, they're just not going. They're still putting their money where their mouth is, whether it's paying for parking, coming in, paying for concessions. And they're there in the seats. Right. They're still cheering on their team. They're mm-hmm. just maybe, they may be making a point. It could be just a, hey, it's a visual point because no one's listening to us on social media, but hey, we're not, we're not happy with the direction. But I do see it as a positive, like he's, but mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt to get other people's take because, you know, he's again, the bank of social media, you got yeah. the people are going to say a million different things, but I don't know. I think some people, if they are taking it too serious, I think we're not looking at it as we would other leagues. All we want is teams that care, fans that care. Heck, I, I mean, I don't know what's going on in Houston on Monday yeah. night when the squirting of the bottle towards an official. Yeah. I mean, okay, wow. but you know cared enough that they were trying to make a point to an official, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I keep saying this, that yeah, it's a first-year team, and these coaching staffs are all first-year. But some of these players are showing that they do really care in a way that I think we should accept. Okay, maybe the officiating needs to get some things under control with that and, and whatnot, and they, they call it an unsportsmanlike penalty, but right. I don't see everything as negative and there's so many people that constantly want to look at ratings, right? Well, the NFL draws four and 5 million, you know, in mm-hmm. some cases, high threes, you know, 3.9s or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're not the national football league. We don't have 32 teams. Mm-hmm. You, you have cornered or covered the entire landscape of the continental United States. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to draw a one or 700,000, whatever it is, Mm-hmm. Or eight teams that are wherever they're at for a shortened season. I don't see that as bad. Again, we come back to the landscape shifting. So much is changing with television. We have so right. much more streaming. We don't even know what the streaming numbers are. I'm not trying to say there's a million people streaming each game. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to imply that. What I'm just saying is we don't know, but we know that some people are streaming. We know that to be true. But we can't expect NFL numbers. We can't expect anything because more and more people are cutting the cord, so to speak. I mean, I'm right, a cord cutter. Right. So, I mean, it gets to a point. Let's not look at everything as doom and gloom, you know, whether it's bags on the heads, whether mm-hmm. it's fewer people in the seats. Let's just, there's people in the seats. That I think that's what's important. Maybe we're playing in two big venues. I said it in 2020. It would didn't make sense to be at MetLife Stadium when you're drawing 14 to 17 thousand people for the Guardians in New York. You know, maybe it's the case in Orlando. Maybe we shouldn't be at Camping World. Maybe we should be at I believe it's Exploria Stadium where Orlando City Soccer Club right. plays for Major right, League right. Soccer. Maybe they need to be in the 18 to 20 thousand seat venue like DC Defenders are at Audi Field. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I mean, I don't try to be doom and gloom on everything. We're, it's not the National Football League, and if that's the measuring stick that everyone wants to keep looking at, it's not SEC football. It's not Big Ten football. Those fan bases have been around for far too long. 
Mm-hmm. And this is something that's going to take time to get off the ground. We just need to have consistency. I mean, as far as piggybacking season two, three, that's what it's going to mm-hmm. take. Then we can start worrying about what attendance looks like in year three is kind of my opinion. I mean, is, is that fair? I mean, are, 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 should we be nitpicking each one of these things that the ratings are not good? The attendance is not where we believe it should be. The bags are on the heads. The mm-hmm. scandal of a quarterback, you know, situ- I mean, it's not that doom and gloom, is it? No, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, like you're talking about the bags on the heads, even the guy squirting the water bottle last line. I mean, that that made the rounds. You know, people heard about what he did. What? What is this? I mean, it, it, it's attention, right? I mean, it's, it may be a little bit of negative attention, but sometimes that's better than none at all, right? And so I don't think it's doom and gloom at all. I, I'm excited about it going forward. And I, I think that it's even interesting that, you know, people are saying, well, it's not the NFL, but the fact that they're even putting the two in the same breath, right? Because, like, you know, if I go over here to a Durham Bulls game and watch them, I'm not expecting them to be the New York Yankees because I know I'm watching minor league baseball, you know what I mean? So I'm not going to sit there with my arms crossed and be like, well, they're, they're not the Yankees. So, you know, and it's just funny that that's so the football has to be kind of good if people are starting to be like, well, it's not the NFL. But it's I mean, it's kind of in the same on the same radar a little bit. It sounds like to me if, if people keep making such a big deal about it. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know, I've had some different people on the show because I'm a mm-hmm. firm believer of bringing the community together and giving mm-hmm. everyone a voice in everyone doesn't agree on everything. I understand that, but at some point let's move on past the negativity and let's just accept it for what it is today and hope what it can be next season and the season beyond. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I would hope we don't try to oversell or make something out of certain numbers that doesn't really exist. And I hope we don't really just not credit it for anything. Let's just, can we just have our season? Just right. Two. Can we just get to season three? Yep. And, and I understand everyone's passionate, but I mean, if a team like the former Redskins, now Washington Football Club, now turned Commanders, right? If those fans were still showing up for games despite losing their team name consistently, I'm not going to take a, a stance on it. it. Doesn't matter, right? But I'm saying if the name is, you're essentially losing your identity. Mm-hmm. You know, or you're in limbo. You know, the Washington football team was a a uh, temporary name holder, but right. You, right. you didn't know who you are. If you're still coming in because you're a fan, the colors, whatever, despite a mm-hmm. terrible owner and all the stuff that's going right. on behind the scenes, it right. And despite having a team that wasn't really competitive, yeah, they made the playoffs. You know. Not this past season, but the, what was the year before? But year they didn't before. have a great. But I mean, the team wasn't like anything stellar. If they can turn out, why can't we just turn out knowing that spring football, mm-hmm. knowing that mm-hmm. it's just the XFL, right? I, I'm in agreement with you. I like to just get past all that negative hoopla, right. so to speak. And but um, mm-hmm. you know, I brought you on not just to kind of pick at your mind here on some mm-hmm. of these negative issues, but I also you know it's nice to have some you know reassurance here that. Things are not as always bad, but right. What is it about the league right now that you're seeing? We're seeing trades and people released and all these different things. Like obviously today, the you know yesterday was like what Kyle Slaughter was released by mm-hmm. the Renegades, and then today we see a trade between the uh, the Renegades and the Vipers, moving mm-hmm. uh, Randy Mueller to um, the Vipers, and then 
Luis Perez. Luis Perez, man, that guy is constantly getting traded in the XFL. He is. I'm surprised he didn't end up a guardian this time like he did last time. But anyway, but it's just, what are you seeing with everything that's going on? And, you know, the the gameplay, and I know you kind of, you thought, oh, you have a a very positive look, but what are you seeing? Anything here that kind of just intrigues you Mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe you haven't shared, maybe, maybe on your website you have, but maybe to the people that don't know that, you know, kind of your takes on certain things that kind of just resonate more so with you. Yeah, I think that one of the things that resonates with me is I'm seeing teams, um, especially the ones I'm, I'm focused in on a little more, more the North teams like Battlehawks, Defenders, Sea Dragons, is they're just starting to to play better. You know what I mean? It's just starting to look like, I mean, th- this might sound condescending, but it's starting to just look like normal football. You know what I mean? It's not like, I mean, the, the only time it really hits you is when they do a kickoff or when they go for three or something like that. You're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? This is the XFL. You know, what I mean, which I love that, by the way, I love the the one, two, three point conversions. Uh, that That's so in, incredibly fun. I wish everybody would try for three all the time. Personally, <laughs> I know the percentages, but I just like the idea of the three extra points. It's just so um, just so appealing to me. But, you know, I think the trades that you mentioned is interesting. Uh, they're interesting because um, I think the league recognizes they want parity down the stretch. Right. They want they want the renegades who are a team that is right there in, you know, second place, right at the board, second, third place, you know, depending on what the Brahmas turn out, they want competitive football down, you know what I mean? And so I think they're trying to get ahead of it so that we don't have, you know, the second place team in the South finish three and seven, you know what I mean? Where, and then you have three teams in the North, you know, eight and two or whatever. And then suddenly you've got like this, oh my gosh, an eight and two team is not going to make the playoffs. So I think they're starting to see that and they're trying to get ahead of it a little bit, move some pieces around to keep some teams in it for a little longer. You know what I mean? Give give a little bit more. Um, you know, I mean, you know, people like soccer. You know, they watch soccer. Plays good defense, and they're satisfied with a one zero game. But when you watch football, you know, fifteen to nine is not everybody's favorite thing to see all the time. And so I think that you know, we're like last night. It was we had we had decent defense. You know what I mean? We had a pick six in the game, but the final score was thirty seven twenty six or something like that. So I mean, people like you know finding the end zone in, in football, and I think the league is seeing that, and they're trying to get ahead of it, so they'll give us a little bit more. You know. 25 to 20 games down the stretch, you know what I mean? Especially with that last two minutes where they can come back and anything's possible. They're going to try and and lean on that a little bit. Uh, One of the things that I've also noticed about the league this year is that final two minutes, how exciting that has been. You know what I mean? There's been like so many things happen. Just even the last time, I think it was the first matchup between DC and the battle Hawks, you know, DC intercepts that pass at the goal line and they're like, Oh, it's over. And they go into down and they fumble the snap. And suddenly they Battlehawks score and then they convert the or they go to convert the one thing and then they have a chance again. You know what I mean? And so that's just, that's what I love about the league, I think, is is no one is ever really out of it. And I think even sometimes we forget that as as fans and as writers and even the announcers sometimes I think forget that because they, they kind of lose track of is it a one possession game? Is it a two possession game? And so I think that's what I love about the league is. Is you know, last night DC went up by like 18 points, and the announcer at one point goes, It's just a two possession game, guys. You know what I mean? Whereas if you're in the NFL in the you know early fourth quarter down by three possessions, that's you know, you're flipping the channel because it's over. And so that's exciting. You know, what I mean that that's what I love to see about it is how um, no one is ever really out of a game. And um, I'm looking forward to a nice little finish here over the next four weeks. I think as we are progressing each week, 
we're not seeing that short training camp impact anymore. Out of the gate, week one, week two, chemistry matters. It really does. And with teams that are still trying to figure out their quarterbacks, that's going to impact games. And it's not to be negative. It's just to be realistic. We know that when you look at the National Football League, these franchises have existed for forever. Even though they bring in a new quarterback, whether it's a, you know, a rookie that's drafted or whether they pick up somebody in free agency, the core of the team typically is the same. You might have a new head coach. They might change some. But when a coach does do that, they typically bring in their people, like-minded. But the personnel or front office people, it wasn't always new. We see a new. So the XFL is all new, new coaching staffs. Yes, some of these guys pick their pe- their people, but they didn't really coach together, whether it be at the collegiate level or other professional teams. So they, yeah, they're bringing in people they know or people they played with, but it's still a new coaching staff, brand new, figuring out whether you look at the Battlehawks, first-time head coach, first-time OC, you know, and Greg Kowski. Uh, so when you just look at these type of things, like, well, I think we kind of lost – track and or understood did not understand that right from the get-go well now that we're in ready to start week seven these mm-hmm. teams are no longer new it's like at one point a rookie is no longer a rookie once they get a couple x amount of games underneath their belt right there might still be a rookie with right. tag rookie but once right. you're x amount of games in they're now into sync and you know they understand what it's like to be a professional whether it's to watch film whether it's to you know conversations and how they conduct themselves off the field. Well, these teams are no longer new. And I think that's, what's going to get intriguing right now is that even with like the Brahmas being in a tough spot, losing Sinet, who was just coming into the mix. Cone <clears throat> for whatever reason was out and they had to pick up Kirk Benkert. All right. So they're going to be in, but most of the team though is gelling. It's just quarterbacks still need to have chemistry. So, right. you know, Juwan Pass is probably going to be, but when you look at most of these teams, eh, now that Luis has been traded, it might be a situation. But again, that team has been together. So I think the mm-hmm. quality of football is better for that reason. Now that's been together, and they've already know what's worked with it. But the big thing also is they finally have film on each other. Yes. It is very important that I think a lot of people did not factor in for week one, week two, week three, that impacts how you set up when you really don't know what they're doing or you haven't studied enough how to find ways to break it down and find the weaknesses where you can exploit that weakness. They have that now, which is when I look at the guardians on the flip side, I'm kind of intrigued, even though they're and six, because they're actually more competitive the past couple of weeks. Right. So like that film means something. They're just shooting themselves in the foot with penalties. But if they could figure that part out, they'd be all right. But so I mean, I'm with you. I think that as we're going on, you know, things just seem to be better. It's better football. It's better. So anyone that's looking for the exit right now, I, I don't know why you're looking for the exit. This is when it's getting good. Yeah, I, I agree. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're 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 spot on with that for sure. One of the, another thing I was going to say that I've noticed, and maybe on not on the teams like maybe the Brahmas who have just gotten the new quarterback and things like that, but I've noticed less um, delay a game 
less false start penalties kind of trending that way just in all of the games. Now that, that may not be statistically correct, you know, just looking at it, but like when, as I'm watching the game, I'm seeing less of that. There's still some penalties in the game, but the false starts and the, the personnel stuff, you know what I mean, where you can't get a play in. And you know, these guys are working together now, and they're getting a feel for what to call next, the coordinators and whatnot. Quarterbacks hearing it better, you know, the things like that are getting fixed. And so that just – all that adds to the experience, right? It makes it look so much better on, on film. It makes it look better on TV. It's more fun to watch as a fan, more fun to write about or talk about on a, you know, on a podcast. So it's, um, it's like I agree with you. If you're, if you're looking for the door now, you're looking in the wrong direction, I think. I think it's, the next four weeks are going to be very exciting. Yeah, I I wouldn't be looking for the door when we have a second season that's just been guaranteed at all, too. I mean, like, this is not the time. I know we got these uh, other leagues that just didn't make it to the finish line. There's the AAF, there's XFL 2.0 in 2020, heck, even Major League Football. That can't, I mean, I get it. There's a lot of negative stuff, but now is not the time. The football's looking good. These teams are actually gelling and coming together. You know, now is the time to actually invest more time and to watch a little bit more of it. If you're going to be a football fan and you've been looking for football all year round, well, you have it. So, I mean, literally, and when the season ends, you got the USFL. So literally we're going to have it all year round now. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else? I, I know I'm just trying to give you your opportunity that if there's anything else you think. Again, I'm very excited. You know, I recently got tickets to the defenders and renegades game on the 16th. Going to go up there with some people uh, for my birthday, which will be fun. But uh, so I'm excited about that. You know, I mean, just the opportunity to keep it going, you know, keep it, uh, keep the excitement alive and all that. Um, I see nothing but positive things. I think they're doing, making good decisions financially. I think they're making good uh, decisions, um, you know, with the trades and things like that and trying to look, really looking hard at competitive balance. I mean, the only thing I want right now is a New Jersey, but (laughs) I think that's out of everybody's control at this point. yeah, that's there's a spot on the the league shop that it mentions it there. Mm-hmm. You can sign up for to be on the list, and they'll notify you or something. But it's it, that is very odd that we're past the halfway point and we don't have right. jerseys available. And but I don't want to beat the team so or the league for. Yeah. Uh, but that is definitely a missed opportunity, and that okay. should have been ready to begin, especially with a deal with a recognizable supplier under armor. That just seems like a missed opportunity Mm -hmm. uh, for both the league and and under armor, but we won't beat them for that. They're doing a lot. That's right. And learning on the fly with a lot of things, but unfortunately that just happens to be one of the, I was going to say, you know, if that's all we have to complain about, then we don't have much to complain about. Right. (laughs) So that's very exciting. Well, give you an opportunity to wear the Jersey you have been waiting years to wear. So you'll yep. get some use out of it at least for the yep, for this season. <laughs> Twenty-three. Right. Well, David, it has been a pleasure, and I appreciate you taking the time yep. to come on to the show to discuss the XFL and just, you know, kind of getting a feel for what you think as a fellow fan, fellow media member. And it's it's awesome, you know, to always meet new people and just right. kind of pick their brains and you know, maybe maybe we'll have you come back sometime to discuss other things. I just uh, you know, I wanted to kind of get a different feel for some things that I haven't really kind of touched in on, on with, you know, other people. So I thought you would be a good person. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. I had a blast. I appreciate it. Well, before you go, this is where I give everyone an opportunity to share their work. 
right? Mm-hmm. So make sure you share your website. Make sure you share your social media handles. So if the listeners want to kind of check out your work, follow you mm-hmm. on social media, where can they get to do so? So on Twitter, that's where I'm most active uh, with regard to the XFL. Uh, that, that is going to be at David Taylor XFL. Uh, nice and simple there. And then the website I write for is xflfanzone.net. And uh, we're always looking for a new contributors. So if anybody wants to jump in and help us out, that would be wonderful. Perfect. Thank you, David. Yep. Thank you. I have said it multiple times. I am a believer in bringing the XFL community together and having David share his thoughts on the league is important. Everyone has varying thoughts and views. And it's beneficial to get viewpoints from an array of fans and media members to help get a better understanding of how the league and its teams are doing. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. <laughs>